Hi all, and welcome to the special episode of Slash Podcast. My name is Erka, I'm the CEO of Slash, and I'm here in the studio together with Mikko, my colleague. How are you doing today? Thanks, Erika. I'm doing really, really well. Excited for the upcoming days. So as Erika said, I'm Mikko. My title is president here at Slush. And ahead of this year's event, we wanted to record a conversation that provides everyone who's joining us in Helsinki with a bit of the backstory and context behind the event you're about to attend. You know, after all, this year's event will be the 14th Slush, the first one having been organized in 2008. It's also an event that Erika, our team and I have spent the past 12 months building, yet we only get to have each of you here for a few days. So it's easy to miss out on part of the narrative and some of the details. So whether you're on a plane from Los Angeles to Helsinki, a ferry over from Tallinn, or you've just settled into your hotel room in downtown Helsinki, we hope you'll find this an interesting story to listen into and hope that having listened to it, you get a little bit more out of your time here in Helsinki. But Erika, what do our guests have in store once they arrive here? In a few days, you're in for the most relevant slush to date. At the core of slush is a conviction that better tech will create a better world. We captured this belief in our theme, that is the break of dawn. It's a claim that we will look back on the 2020s as a period of time when an incredible number of important world-positive technologies were created. And to ensure that this version of the future indeed becomes reality, we believe in bringing the right people together under one roof. And that is why Slash 2022 is all about relevance over scale. So not how many people are here, but who's here. Exactly. So while Slush is smaller than it once was, the number of startup and investor tickets put together is actually higher than at any previous event. And we've worked really hard to ensure that within those groups, it's the most relevant investors and startups that are present. Uh, but we'll tell you more about that later on. In this episode, we're going to dive deeper into why Slush exists and why you should get excited about the upcoming event. You're also not just going to hear from the two of us, as we'll be joined by a few super exciting guests. First, Miki Kuusi, founder and CEO of Vault and the very first CEO of Slush. Then we have Amin Hassan, a three-time Slush volunteer. And finally, Claire Gasco, a founder of OneFive, a company developing clean and circular packaging materials and having a product showcase in our startup studio. But yes, before we dive into how Slush 2022 looks like, I think we should spend a moment uh, to understand the history. So Mikko, as our house historian, would you like to tell us how the past decade has looked for Slush? Yes, it could be more than a moment, but I'm happy to. So yeah, for the start of this story, we have to go back to the year 2008, which is the year in which Slush was founded. And Slush was founded by five Finnish serial entrepreneurs into a sort of version of Finland where the startup ecosystem was extremely small. And so these these five founders basically just wanted to create a gathering for them and their peers to to get together once a year. And that's what they did uh, in 2008. They gathered 250 people and basically continued doing that same thing for the next couple of years, the 2009 and 2010 events. But then in, in 2011, something happened that is is extremely formative for Slush's ethos and the event it has become. So these original five founders all had got busy building their own companies and initially contemplated to just stop Slush. However, at the 11th hour, they actually found a group of students at Alta University who had just founded an entrepreneurship society called Alta Entrepreneurship Society. And they took Slush, they took this whole thing and they gave it over to that group of students to basically see what they could do with the event. And that, I think, has cemented in Slush ethos that this is an initiative by and for the whole Finnish ecosystem. It's not anyone's uh, own company. This is something that consecutive generations come together to build and, and then give over to the next one. But now, Erika, maybe you could speak a little bit to basically what the Finnish ecosystem looked like in, in 2011 and the problems that those original students set out to solve. Yes. So when those students took over Slush, the world looked very different than it looks now. So basically the whole startup ecosystem in Finland was inexistent. In 2011, the team was actually set up to reach three goals. First, they wanted to build a radically positive culture of entrepreneurship. Second, they wanted to profile the Nordics as one of the major tech hubs globally. And finally, they wanted to make early stage venture capital more accessible. 
but I don't really think that I'm the person who should be talking about these topics. So would it be the time to welcome our first guest to the podcast? Yes, I think so. There's someone who knows more about those early formative days than anyone else. He's called Miki Kuusi, and he was actually that student to whom Slush was handed in, in 2011, then went on to spearhead the event for four years. Since then, Miki has become a startup founder himself, built a company called Volt in the food delivery space, which was acquired by DoorDash last fall. Let's uh, talk to Miki on uh, what happened in 2011. All right, Mickey. So I want to start in 2011. A formative moment for Slush's ethos was that the original five founders of Slush chose to hand over the whole event to a group of students at Aalto University, led by you. So can you tell me how this thing happened? Yeah, so it's actually funnily enough to completely unrelated things coming together by by coincidence. So when we were doing the things that we did back in 2011-2010 in Aalto University, one of the things we identified was that in Europe in general, like there wasn't a strong enough of a venture capital ecosystem locally. And then the issue was that out of the global venture capital investors that would invest into Europe, most people wouldn't bother going outside of like London and maybe Berlin. But there were a lot of other good companies coming from other places. But the issue was that there wasn't enough of them in most cities for it to make sense to you know make the trip. So we formed the hypothesis with Alto, yes, that someone has to do something about this. And we conceptualized this investor event where we're going to focus. It's going to be from startups for startups. It's going to focus on startups and venture capital investors. And we had a tech media quite soon mm-hmm. that the core audience is so slush until today even. And we started organizing it. And somewhere in the early stages of organizing it, we happened to run into Peter Westerbach who like Rovio was taking off and Angry Birds was taking off and he was like working at that company at the time. And at the site, they've been organizing Slush for a few years, which was an event of like a few hundred people. And Slush had a really cool story, like the event that they've been organizing, which was that it's not organized in the summer. It doesn't try to pretend that this is the nicest time of the year to visit the Nordics. It's like in the crappiest, darkest time of the year. It's not the beautiful snow white season. It's the crappy slush, you know, the kind of snow that gets your feet wet type of season. Let's be proud about the things that people are usually the most apologetic Mm -hmm. about. And we just fell in love with the name and the idea. So ultimately what happened was that we organized that Slush together with Peter, who was one of the original folks in Slush and then Timo Airisto in 2011. And then like over that year, we basically took it over as Alto ES and ran with it. Some of the fundamentals of, uh, of Slush from the first three years before we took it over uh, remained with Slush. But like our kind of focus was very much like we want to organize a high quality venture capital event for startups and then get some of the best like tech journalists from the world to join in. That was the kind of the thinking. Makes a lot of sense. So can you paint me a picture that's even more concrete than that. Let's say it's November 2nd, 2011. Miki Kuusi is 22 years old and walks in through the doors of Helsinki Cable Factory for what's the first day of the first slush he's going to organize. Like, what does he see around him and what does he feel? Absolute bloody chaos. Like, we had no <laughs> idea what we were doing. The reality is that, like, slush, when it was being organized in 2008 to 2010, was an event with a budget of, you know, 30 to 50,000 euros or something. And slush 2011, we got the budget to around 100 and 180,000 euros. So the reality was that we had absolutely no idea what we were doing. We were committing to way too much cost than <laughs> what we had any credibility to know if there's going to be enough ticket sales or partnerships to cover mm. for that. We were very much led by vision. And at the same time, we didn't really have a professional like event organization organizing the event. So, like SunFX was already doing some subcontracting back at the time. It was the main event producer of Slush, the production company. But it was students, no salary, no event production capability or whatsoever for the most part organizing the event, which meant that there was a lot of surprises. There was a lot of things that came as something new to us because we hadn't done it before. So for me, Slush 2011 and 12, and also to a certain degree in 13, were like chaotic exercises where someone said really well about 2011, some attendee, that it was kind of like Woodstock. Nothing nothing worked, but everything was still awesome. <laughs> so I think the reality is that it was very much, don't worry, be crappy, you know, hustle a lot and try to organize something where there's a lot of good intention, there's a lot of good things, maybe not every Everything is you know, world-class yet, but we are doing our best to make it happen. That's fantastic. Um, you already alluded to some of the sort of goals you had with Alto ES and, and Slash then became your vehicle for changing those things about the world. So can you describe that in a bit more detail? What was the Finnish entrepreneurial scene, if you will, in, in 2011? And how did you set out to, to change it? 
So I think like the reality of what happened with the dot-com bubble bursting uh, in the early 2000s was that in a lot of places in the world, including like Finland and most of Europe, it was perceived that this internet thing and this mobile thing were kind of a sham. Like there's a lot of promises about all these amazing businesses and services and things that you can build on top of the internet and using mobile devices. And then like after dot-com bubble burst, none of this was true. Mm-hmm. And from my perspective, if I look at the first two decades of the early 2000s, like the reality is that from 2000 to 2010, Europe was a little bit of a barren wasteland in technology companies. Like there was not a domestic venture capital scene. There was not a proper startup ecosystem or startup scene happening. It was more about... It, individual companies working on something, you know, finding their own way to learn about stuff, to raise funding, to succeed, but there wasn't so many of them. In 2011, when we organized the first Slush with the Altuius crew, I remember like I, I wanted to invite every like later stage Finnish scale-up CEO to speak at the event. Mm-hmm. And later stage scale-up at that point formed up to be someone with more than 10 million in financing. <laughs> and I remember there, there was maybe genuinely like two or three companies that had raised that amount. And then we kindly like allocated all the R&D loans and everything that they'd gotten to get a little bit more companies into that and we maybe invited the five people that had done that. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because today, if you look at people raising like a 10 million euro round of financing, it's so every day that it barely breaks the news barrier. And today, like, you know, later stage scale up is a company that's worth a billion, that's doing a hundred million or more of revenue and so forth. That's how much the ecosystem here locally has grown. Mm-hmm. So like, I think, uh, you know, what's happened in the last decade from, you know, turn of the 2010 to like now 2022, too, it's it's an incredible change in Europe. But I think why it took such a longer time to happen versus, for instance, Silicon Valley was that we didn't recover from the dot-com bubble bursting for almost a decade. That's the reality of it. Okay, super interesting. And if we move on from 2011, I think after that you still spent three more years leading slush and increasingly professional slush. And those years were a time of, of rapid expansion. It went from, what, 1,500 people in 2011 to something like 14,000 in, in 2014, which I think amounts to about 100% of year-on-year growth every year for like uh, three years. How was that possible and how close did it all come to going totally wrong? Yeah, so... <sighs> One thing people don't necessarily realize about organizing events is that like events are a notoriously difficult form of activity to scale very quickly. Mm-hmm. The reason is that if you look at the average event in technology scene, like usually, you know, somewhere around maybe half and half of the income of the event is going to be partnerships and ticket sales. It might vary a bit based on the event, but that's the rough math. Mm-hmm. Now, when you organize an event, you commit the budget way in advance of organizing the event. Most ticket sales for most events happens very much towards the end of the, the moment the event is being organized. Mm-hmm. Most of the partnerships are also confirmed at a very late stage. So that means when you're scaling an event, like we scaled the budget of uh, Slush in the four years that I ran it, 3x every year for four years, which basically means that we barely got the break even, maybe made a small profit of a 50,000 or a small loss of a 50k, which basically meant that was a hugely successful event. And then we go into the next year and we're like, we're going to triple our budget. And we barely sold out and got enough partners to cover the costs of the previous year. And now we're saying we're going to 3x the cost base. And then we trust that we are going to somehow get it together. We're somehow going to sell enough tickets. We're somehow going to get enough partnerships so that we actually make it happen. And then we did it four years in a row. That's the difficult thing about scaling events. This is the reason why most events don't grow very quickly mm-hmm. because it's actually very crazy to do that. Or if, if events do that, this is the reason why many events go bankrupt in the years of scaling. Because one year, you only double your ticket sales and double your partnerships. Uh, you basically made previous year's revenue and losses. And as we didn't raise any funding, it was completely cash flow financed. Mm-hmm which meant we started the year with zero euros in the bank. Like we had no barrier to make mistakes. So that was the act of scaling slush from 2011 to 2014. What I can say about those years is that nothing I've done in Walt or in technology companies since has been as like stress-induced <laughs> as scaling slush in those years. Mm. You know, when you're able to raise financing, you have a healthy balance sheet, you're able to hire really smart people, you're working on a scalable business model where your costs and your revenue don't have like such a direct correlation as organizing an event where mm. more people means more costs. Like it's something completely different. All right, that puts things into perspective. 
if we fast track to today, it's uh, it's almost eight years since you handed over slush, at least sort of operationally handed over slush to the next generation of, of students. So I want to hear like, how has it felt to watch what you basically helped create in its in its current form grow from the sidelines? And how close is slush today to what you sort of imagined it could become? Yeah, Slush was always a community effort. Like in, in Finnish, we have a word called talkot, which is a Finnish word for the village coming together to help one family free of charge to do something the family couldn't do on their own. Mm. And through having this kind of talkot spirit, the village and all the families are able to succeed because they're able to, you know, support each other and that, hence the community thrives. And I think Slush is a very good example of this kind of talkot spirit thing where everyone comes together to, you know, make this thing happen so that everyone has a better stronger community, stronger ecosystem for everyone to succeed out of. So from my perspective, Slush has never been like an individual effort. This has always been a community effort. Slush is what it is today because it was something that not just hundreds, but even thousands of people felt strongly about that we want to have a better ecosystem for building companies in Europe and out of Europe. And we want to contribute back to that ecosystem. Mm On an individual level, if I look at Slush, you know, of course, like at the early days, you need to have a vision and you need to have a dream and you need to have, you know, what you're building towards. Mm-hmm. Uh, after we organized Slush 2011, I kind of came to the conclusion that for us to be able to truly be something significant on a global scale, like we need to be in terms of size somewhere around 10,000 people. And I remember 2014 was the first event we did that was over 10,000 people. That was also why it was my last year, because we kind of in that year did what I thought was almost impossible to do when we started four years earlier. Mm-hmm. And for me, if I look at what slush has become since. I'm immensely proud about how we've stopped growing in size and continued to grow in quality. Uh, the, the the most important thing about Slush is that it's not a for-profit business, it's a non-for-profit. And it's all about creating the most value possible ultimately for companies, ultimately to help the next generation of companies that become something significant on the world scale. And that's what I really love about Slush and the spirit of Slush. And that's the thing I'm most proud about. Like you can talk about attendees and budgets and the size of the event and all these things. But ultimately, like if Slush has a meaningful influence on a generation of people ending up with more successful companies and more of them, that's that's the most important thing. And I think if I look at the influence Slush has had in a decade on the European ecosystem, I'm super excited about where we're going to be in a decade more or two decades more. That's what I'm looking forward to. Absolutely. All right. And one more question. On November 17th and 18th, in only a few days now, we have thousands of people come to Slush who have never visited Slush, maybe never visited Finland or, or Helsinki. What's one piece of advice you would give to all of them? Keep an open mind. Like uh, there's a lot of serendipity. Slush is basically, it's a very curated audience because today, like most attendees are actually certified as like startup attendees or investors or journalists and so mm-hmm. forth, which means that most people you're going to meet at the event are going to be in one shape or format relevant for you to get to know. So my recommendation is to have an open mind, get to know new people. There's a lot of like information available at the same time. So you can also go hunting. Like, you know, you're looking for a Series A investor. God, there's many Series A investors that mm-hmm. are great in Slush. You're looking to hire. You're You're looking to, you know, find great developers. You're looking to learn more about something related to your industry. You're looking to get right kind of support for your company. If you think about the next level of scale that you need to go through, there are people that are going to be able to help you in those things in Slush. So that's the main thing for me. Slush for me is a buffet and it's mostly about, you know, okay, what do you have the opportunity to to try out and get to know in that buffet? Wonderful. For those who want to hear more from Mickey, you can catch him day two on Serene stage, 11.23, for a live recording with the one and only Harry Stebbings. But for now, thank you so much, Mickey. Thank you. Thank you, Mickey and Mikko. Mickey has built perhaps the most renowned company born out of Slush, but there are many, many more worth to mention. Slush alumni have founded and built companies like Block, Think Testing, Carboculture, Flow, Ride, Singa, Housecat and Babble, to name a few. The team has actually also started a few important initiatives pushing tech assistance forward. I could mention Inclusive and Day Day, that are movements pushing the DEI topics into startup ecosystem forward, and Wave Ventures, which is perhaps one of the biggest student-led venture capital funds in Europe or on the globe. Yes, all fantastic companies. And in fact, Slush's mission is to create and help entrepreneurs to change the world. And one of the most important ways on top of our event in which we act on, especially that first part, so creating entrepreneurs, is through our team and everything we accelerate them to do down the line in the ecosystem. We 
already talked about how the original founders handed over Slush to a group of students in 2011. And this remains true and, and part of our ethos to this day. So everyone on the Slush team, including me and Erika, are some version of student, dropout or recent graduate, and generally between 20 and 30 years old. And for our team, we aim to be the best founder school in Europe, like a workplace where you can come in your early 20s, you can spend a few years, you can learn more than you could anywhere else about company building and surrounding startup ecosystem. And eventually you can leave prepared to start your own thing, be that become a startup founder, go work for a company as an operator, or perhaps become a VC. Definitely. So Slush is not a destination, it's a launchpad. And we're that not only for the full-time team, but also for our volunteers. As Mikko mentioned before, Slush is very much a buy-tech system for tech system movement. And we would not be where we are today without our fantastic volunteers, most of whom are actually European students getting their first glimpse of the startup ecosystem by volunteering at Slush. This year's event is made possible by 1,500 volunteers, and many of them keep coming back year after year. One of these people is Amin, our team lead, who's been volunteering at Slush since 2019 and works with the Slush 100 pitching competition this year. Let's welcome Amin to the studio and talk a bit more about what keeps him coming back. Hi Amin, thanks for taking the time to join us for this conversation. You volunteered for Slush for the first time already in 2019 and returned in 2021 and again this year. You're actually working as a team lead for the Slush 100 pitching competition. And I have one question in mind. What keeps you coming back? <laughs> That's good question. And actually, I've been thinking about this lately quite a lot since I'm also working as a full-time employee in other company. But I think the reason is the atmosphere that Slush offers. Like, this is something that you can't feel, sense, or, you know, you can't be part of something like this in other places. This is something so unique that... I don't know. I just love it. It's it's weird since I remember 2019, I didn't even knew what Slush is. I just knew that there is some random event happening in Helsinki. There's lasers going on and stuff like that. But after the first time I was part of Slush, I don't know. I'm I might be back again next year <laughs> since like it's so amazing to be part of this uh, something hooked. like this. I, I just got hooked, even though I didn't know anything about this. But now I just feel like this is my second home. The second reason why I keep coming back is the people that you can get worked with and people like minded like you. And that's that's something that you can't find from any other places. I've got so many great friends from Slush that I like still keep in touch with. I've actually worked with some and ex-slushers and stuff like that. That's something that it's pretty unique and I just love it. People and the atmosphere. Yeah. Having started my own Slush journey as a volunteer back in 2014, I can really relate to those things and what you're what you're saying. Then maybe second question I wanted to ask you is, what have you learned as a Slush volunteer? Mm, there's quite many things that you can learn from Slush. 2019, I was actually a group lead. So that was first time I was leading some kind of team. I had 12 volunteers that I got to recruit and uh, tell them something about Slush and about customer service and stuff like that. So maybe the most important part that I learned is how to lead myself in order to lead other people. And that's something that has been with me since the first time I was slush. So I think the leadership experience is the most valuable thing that I've got from slush. Yes, I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> Then do you have a specific slush memory or story <laughs> that you'd like to share with us? Actually, yes. Like last year I was part of fall team as a team lead and my team was event help team. And the idea behind event help team is that we help in every place. It's like wherever some team needs help, we are there. So like SWAT team of slush. And there was this one accident happened to I think it was one of it, it wasn't speaker but I think it was someone working in that area and with speakers and this lady she lost her voice 
like completely lost the voice. And oh she had only one hour left until she had to go to the stage to announce something. And I got someone from stage's team called me and was like, we need help. We need something to fix her voice. And I was like, what should I do now? And thankfully, the team lead of stages knew how to, he's a singer, so he knew how to open voices. So that person told me the things that I need to get from and from pharmacy. And luckily, we had a car available. We had one volunteer available and I had a credit card available. So all these things in like right time available. Yeah, my volunteer then went to pharmacy, got those random things that the stages team lead told my volunteer to got and brought those back. And amazingly, the speaker or the lady at the stages, she got her voice back right in time and went back to the stage and announced the things. And that was just weird thing that actually that, that's something that your team has to handle. and. We handled that quite nicely, so yeah, I'm pretty sure I will remember that moment for the rest of my life. Yeah, I love this story, and I believe this lady will also remember <laughs> the moment that the help help she got. Yeah, that was something that I wasn't ready for, but everything went quite nicely. Yeah, you managed to handle that. Yeah, love it. So you already mentioned that outside of Slush, you have a job. So you work as a tech recruiter and you're also active in municipal politics as a member of the Youth Committee of Helsinki. So I'm curious to know, is there something that you've taken from Slush to the other roles you have or then vice versa? Actually, Slush is the reason why I got hooked up in recruitment. Since 2019 was my first year at Slush and I was studying at that time and I didn't quite know what to do with my life. And because of the Slush experience, because I had to recruit 12 people into my team, I just got interested about recruitment and how this like recruitment business is working. And also the second thing was the diversity. And I remember the first leadership experience that we had at 2019 was about some kind of diversity recruitment. And those were the things that got me actually hooked up in recruitment. And since then, I just pursued my career forward to recruitment business. And here we are now as a tech recruiter in one of the uh, most known companies in Finland. So I'm pretty sure without Slush, I wasn't like never found this path in my life. I love this story. And for the context for the listeners, leadership experiences are these kind of training sessions we organize uh, for our team leads and group leads. And yes, diversity is a topic that we <laughs> usually cover in these sessions. So happy to hear that Slush has had a impact on your career as it has Amazing. an impact on my career as well. <laughs> uh, and hopefully we get to continue working together also in the future. Thanks, Thank Amin. you. Thank you a lot. This was so amazing. Thank you, Erika and Amin. Now, Erika, with Miki, we discussed the very early days of, of Slush, while Amin mentioned that he had joined for the last event before the pandemic and the biggest Slush to date. Can you tell me a little bit about what happened in between? Yes. So given to the hands of the student community, the 250 people event in 2008 turned into an event with 1,500 attendees back in 2011. And since 2011, Slush grew rapidly. In 2014, the event moved to its current venue in Mesokeskus uh, and brought together 14,000 attendees. And by 2019, Slush had grown into a global gathering of 25,000 people. However, the numbers alone are not interesting. The interesting part is what the impact of all this was. Absolutely. And I think for this, we should go back to the original three goals that uh, Erga mentioned earlier on the episode that the uh, original uh, group of students set out to solve in 2011. And there were three of them. The first one of them was building a radically positive culture of entrepreneurship in Finland. So if you look at this goal... I think in the sort of early 2000s, before Slush was founded, entrepreneurship was generally seen as something pretty negative in, in Finland, something you would do if you couldn't find like a real job. <laughs> in fact, there's a story that often gets told about one of the founders of Slush, Peter Westerbakka, and how he gave a lecture at Aalto University in 2007. And Peter asked the audience of 600 students how many of them were planning to become entrepreneurs. And three out of 600 raised their hands. So that's That's half sad. a percent. 
Yes, that is sad. Ten years later, in 2017, Finnish youth were actually polled on whether they intend to start a company. And this time, 40% of them said yes. So that's something like 100x growth in the number of people who want to start a company in just in just 10 years. So that's a lot of progress against that first goal. Now, the second goal was uh, profiling the Nordics as one of the major tech hubs globally. And in the State of European Tech report from 2020, a report we produced together with Atomico. There are some interesting data points to look at here. First of all, four Nordic cities ranked among the top 20 European hubs in venture capital invested. Those cities were Helsinki and Espoo here in Finland and Stockholm and Malmö in Sweden. So that's basically 20% of the list for an area that counts for less than 4% of Europe's population. Equally, 10% of European unicorns are Nordic and Finland, Sweden, Denmark all rank among the top seven countries in unicorns per capita. Clearly, the Nordics these days are a significant European tech hub. Lastly, the third goal that the original group of students set out to solve was making venture capital, especially international venture capital, more accessible. And if we look at venture capital invested in Finland, there is a an incredible change. So between 2011 and 2020, venture capital invested in Finnish startups grew 9x from about 100 million to about a billion. And international venture capital grew 19x from a meager 30 million to more than 500 million. So clearly, you know, Finnish companies have a totally different set of funding available to them in building their companies. And then I think lastly, like the maybe the most important indication of everything that Slush has done and everything that's changed in the Nordics is the group of fantastic companies that have been built. So basically, companies founded during Slush's first decade, the 2010s, out of the Nordics include Supercell, Vault, Plio, Ivan, Truecaller, Aura, Northvolt, iSettle, Cree, Tink, Einride, and Kahoot. And the, the list goes on. So just this incredible set of companies that have disrupted a number of important industries. And clearly none of these achievements are slushes alone. It would be naive to to think that. But I do think it is quite telling if we look at that list of companies and can find just how tied some of these stories are with slush itself. So... We heard from Mickey earlier, you know, Vault is a company built by Slush alumni. The whole founding team was basically Mickey and five people he had met working at Slush. And the leadership team to this day is very heavily Slush alumni. Equally, Ivan, which is another Finnish unicorn, raised both their Series A and Series B funding rounds in 2018 and 2019, respectively, from lead investors that they met for the first time at the event. If we look at Aura, producers of the Aura Ring, um, they launched the second generation of their ring and, and the first one that really sort of propelled them to global success on stage at Slush in 2017. And lastly, both Kahoot and Northwalt spoke on the Slush stage in their very early days. So that's how Slush did against its original set of three goals between 2011 and 2019. And uh, that brings us to the year 2019. Basically, 25,000 people in Helsinki. The original three goals that Slush set out to solve have been solved. So, Erika, what happened next? Well, I guess that's not a surprise for anyone. But yes, the year of 2020 was a defining one for many and also for Slush. So actually already in January 2020, uh, we were thinking how the next decade should look like for Slush and for the ecosystem at large, because as you heard from Mikko, uh, the kind of original goals uh, Slush was set up to solve were pretty much reached. We actually ended up writing a white paper called Entrepreneurship Redefined that has guided our work ever since. And perhaps that's something you Mikko could talk a bit more about. Absolutely. So if Slush's first decade was all about building an ecosystem here in Finland and the Nordics, our second decade is going to be about harnessing that ecosystem in pursuit of the most difficult problems we face. That's what Entrepreneurship Redefined is about. And it breaks down into three axes of change that Slush is working towards in the ecosystem. The first one of those is diversity and inclusion. We believe it to be very important that the next generation of tech companies be built by founders and operators that represent the full extent of human heterogeneity. Not only is that the right thing to do, but it also has important implications for the problems that we as an ecosystem are able to solve. And that's because building a startup is uh, such a personal, tough thing to do that people are going to and probably should be solving problems that they themselves face. So if you want to solve problems that 
all of humanity faces, we also need all of humanity to be building those businesses. What's more, diversity means nothing without inclusion. So we need our startups to be welcoming, safe and empowering for people from all backgrounds. Now, the second axis of entrepreneurship redefined is called purpose-driven tech. And here we claim that while we've built some fantastic companies during these past few decades, I think we've sometimes lost track of which solutions truly move the needle in terms of some of our most important, most difficult problems. Like there just is a difference between building out the next direct-to-consumer giant and building some technology that is going to help address climate change. And now we're running low on time to turn our attention to these really hard problems. And we hope that during the next decade, we will build tons of them. The last axis of entrepreneurship we defined is called revolutionary innovation. And here we say that to solve some of those really important problems, we will need to build the most advanced technology out there. And this is this is not something new. Back in the 60s and 70s, when in Silicon Valley, startups as we know them and venture capital as we know it came to be, those startups were there to build out like semiconductors, like they were there to build out technology that did not exist before they started building it. And I think we were very good at that for a long period of time. But then about came the internet in the mid 90s. And ever since then, basically ever since the dot-com boom, I think a lot of startups have applied existing technologies to new problems and industries rather than building something truly new. And under revolutionary innovation, we believe that it's very important for us to wind back the clock here. So go back to building the kinds of technologies we've dreamed about for half a century but are yet to build like fusion energy, quantum computing or general AI. And that's entrepreneurship redefined in a nutshell, and that's what Slush is going to spend the next decade building. However, Erika, 2020 also had a profound impact on what Slush's event itself looks like. So can you tell us more about that? Definitely. So 2020 came with the pandemic, and that really forced us to rethink what really matters at Slush and who are we building the event for. So last year's event was a gathering of 8,000 people. The vast majority of the attendees were either startup founders, operators or investors, and people loved it. This smaller, more focused event allowed us to build for the people at the very core of our mission. Instead of trying to be something for everyone, we're doing our best to be close to everything for someone, and that someone is an early stage founder. So to conclude, what will define the next decade for Slush are these two things combined, entrepreneurship redefined and relevance over scale. These things will guide us in our work for the coming years, and they have also heavily impacted how this year's event looks like. It'll be the very best Slush to date. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And now it's time to actually talk about the upcoming event, having taken a pretty long detour into Slush history and ethos. And in talking about Slush 2022, we start with our theme. Our theme is called Break of Dawn. And it's a celebration of how far we've already come in our work towards entrepreneurship redefined, which you just heard about. Break of Dawn claims that we will look back on the 2020s as a period of time when an incredible number of important world positive technologies were created. And our belief in Break of Dawn is really predicated on the fact that there are several important industries which seem to be in the most exciting place in which they've been in decades right now. I have five examples for you. The first one of which is renewable energy. So for the first time in history right now, renewable energy is actually cheaper than fossil energy, which is a historic shift. Secondly, after decades of dreaming about this moment, we, in the past few years, we've reached quantum supremacy, which means that quantum computers can finally do computations that it would take an infinite amount of time for a classic computer to do. Thirdly, there's space travel, where the cost of space travel was essentially stagnant between the first Apollo flight in the early 60s and the last space shuttles flying in the early 2000s. But it's down 90% in the past decade, partly thanks to SpaceX and uh, renewable rockets. Fourthly, just like suddenly out of the blue, generative AI can do all of those things that we have waited for AI to be able to do for a very long time. And lastly, the first time a whole human genome was mapped was in a project that started in the year 1990. And that project was completed after 13 years and at a cost of more than a billion euros. Whereas today, a whole human genome can actually be mapped in five hours and for less than 500 euros. So just 
across all of these important industries, today is a more exciting day in technology than any day that our generation has seen. And in this moment in time, we believe it is fundamentally important to bring together the brightest minds who are building out this version of the future. Yes. So as I alluded to before, this year we continuously asked ourselves one question. Who's coming? Not how many people, but who are the people? And the first thing all of you should know about Slash 2022 is that the event will gather together 12,000 people, including 4,600 startup founders and operators and 2,600 investors. And among that crowd, we have some extremely interesting people joining us. Should we start from our speakers? I think we should. Yes. So let's start with some general numbers. Out of all speakers coming on our stages, 55 have built a company worth of 1 billion euros or more. 12 are actually so-called Decacorn founders, having built companies worth more than 10 billion euros. This speaks about the development of the European tech ecosystem at large. Our lineup wouldn't have looked anything like this even five years ago. So extremely exciting. Yes, so am I. But I'm curious to hear, who are you most excited about out of our 180 speakers? Good question. Should we do three top picks? Let's do that. Yes, I can start with uh, Ev Williams, co-founder of Twitter, Medium, and later a purpose-focused fund called Obvious Ventures. Mm -hmm. And his talk is actually titled Building a Future We Wish Existed. So very much in line with our theme for this year. The second person I could mention is Lucy Guo, CEO of Passes, a Web3 creator platform who has previously co-founded Scale AI, a company currently worth over $7.3 billion. Mm-hmm. I think she's pretty much my age and has left her mark to the world already now, which is impressive. Put some pressure on me, but uh, I'll follow. <laughs> and last but not least, one speaker I think everyone should mark uh, to their agendas is Max Levchin, uh, one of the co-founders of PayPal and a current founder and CEO of Affirm. And Max has also served in the boards of Yelp, Yahoo and Evernote. So I think there's very few people on the planet who've had as big of an impact on internet as Max has. Who are your top picks? Yeah, no, I wholeheartedly agree with all of those. A lot of childhood heroes on that list. But I'll I'll add three as well. I'll start with Mar Hershenson, who is founding partner of PearVC. And PearVC is a fund that was founded in 2013. And they pretty much immediately struck gold by leading DoorDash's seed round. And that investment and many great investments since have very quickly propelled both Pear as a fund and Mar as an individual to the ranks of unequivocal Silicon Valley tier one investors. And this is the first time we get to have both Pear and, and Mar at Slush, and it comes on the back of them having expanded to Europe, opening up an office in Barcelona earlier this year. Now, a second one that I'm excited for, and another very young founder, is called Juliana Lamb. She is co-founder and CTO of a company called Stitch. I think she is Lucy's age, so she's also 28. So again, that's another scary but uh, very inspirational example of what you can do at a young age. And then lastly, I can't help but mention Doug Leone. Doug Leone led Sequoia Capital for a decade, stepping down earlier this year. And Sequoia is clearly one of the, if not the most famous venture capital fund of all time. I think a quite often quoted metric is that 25% of the Nasdaq's total value is current or ex-Sequoia portfolio. And I think one reason that uh, I'm personally so excited for Doug is that me and Erika were actually in San Francisco in, in early April. And And we had a meeting with Doug on Sand Hill Road, which is, you know, not something you you quickly forget. And, and that's when he agreed to, to join us over here. So that uh, makes us especially excited for him. Couldn't agree more. And something everyone should know about our speakers is actually that we've asked all of our speakers to dedicate one hour of their time to mentoring early stage startups. So these people are really not joining only for the spotlights, but to support founders in the earliest stages of their journey. It's pretty exciting. That is exciting. Now let's switch groups and I think we should talk about the investors joining Slush. We already talked about how important increasing access to venture capital was during the early days of Slush and it continues to be very important today. And in that spirit, we're really excited that Slush 2022 brings together 50% more VCs than any previous Slush event, 2,600 of them in total. And we're pretty sure that that is more than at any other event on the planet. We're also proud of who those investors are. Back in January, we mapped out the best 70 venture capital funds on the planet. And we set ourselves a goal of attracting as many of them to Helsinki as possible. And where we've landed, 11 
seven months later is 45 out of 70. And that means that we have a pretty long list of iconic VC funds who are joining Slush for the first time. Uh, the list includes the likes of Benchmark Capital, Founders Fund, a pair VC that we already discussed, Firstmark, Meritech, Tiger Global, Bain, Spark Capital, and GGV. So this is something that we hope many of the early stage founders in the audience will draw benefits from. I agree. That's very exciting. However, enough of the investors. Should we talk about the group that's at the core of our mission? So early stage startups. I think we should. And uh, where I would start with this one is to say that we know how busy startup founders are and that going to events can be a big distraction. However, I do think that for quite long, Slush has been one of probably only a handful of European events that even the best startup founders choose to attend and find value from. But we recognize that we cannot take this for granted and that the day these people stop coming to Slush is the day when we stop being relevant and stop fulfilling our mission. To that end, we've once again worked really hard to improve on some of our key concepts to ensure that they provide a substantial value for the early stage founders joining Slush. And I think there are two concepts that we are especially proud of. I can talk about the first one, and that is the Slush 100 pitching competition. And this is not a new concept. In fact, it's one of the longest running concepts we have. It it was part of the very first student organized Slush in 2011 and has been part of every event since. However, for 2022, we've taken the competition to a whole new level. Five of the very best early stage funds in Excel, General Catalyst, Lightspeed, NEA and Northzone will come together to make a 1 million euro equity investment in the winner of the competition. So that's quite exciting. And these funds will serve as the judges throughout the competition and they will also mentor the participants every step of the way. And so far, it seems that the European ecosystem has welcomed the initiative, received more than a thousand applications. And at the time of recording, judges from the five funds are evaluating the top 100s pitches. And I have taken a sneak peek of some of them, and there are truly some exceptional companies in there. I agree. Another thing that I'm extremely proud of and that should be helpful for every startup trading slush is our matchmaking tool. This year we've decided to fix the matchmaking and set the world's best meeting experience as our North Star. We've rebuilt the platform from the ground up and I can assure you it just works. Those of you who've visited Schloss before know that at the heart of the venue is the meeting area, a dedicated space for pre-booked meetings. Uh, in this space we have 220 tables where consecutive meetings will run in 30-minute intervals for the two event days. And put together, that's over 10,000 pre-booked meetings happening, mostly between startups and investors during the two slush days. The meeting area will be fully booked before the event, so go and matchmake now. You should visit slush.org and click platform and you're there, ready to matchmake. On top of our concepts, another thing to get excited about is the startups that are attending. And I think one place to look for some really exciting companies is our product showcase in Startup Studio happening over the two event days. And for product showcase, we've wanted to showcase startups representing a total of nine break of dawn industries. So industries that we think are core to building a version of the future that we've identified in our theme. And Erika, you caught up with one of our product showcase speakers. Yes, I did. So Claire Gasco is the co-founder of 1.5 and she'll be part of the new materials showcase on Slash Day 2. Let's hear from her. Welcome, Claire. So good to have you joining us today in this interview and in a very few days also on the Startup Studio stage at Slush. Let's start with the very basics. Um, you're the founder of One5. Uh, what is it that you're actually building at One5? Mm-hmm. So my co-founder Martin and I, we worked together at another Berlin startup quite a few years And we decided we wanted to start our own company and um, realize fairly quickly also from experiences we've made at our time at, at Infarm, which is the vertical farming company that we used to work at, that the packaging challenge, especially for companies with a sustainable purpose or at least a perspective on sustainability is quite difficult today because the supply chain or the vendors that you would usually work with don't seem to have access to the materials that would allow us to fulfill fairly high sustainability criteria. So we realized that There seems to be a gap between research 
and market like marketable products. So that's the company that we've essentially built with 1.5 is that we identify, so we discover and evaluate dormant material science innovations and see which ones are fit for purpose for the problem that exists today in the market. We then go into the development and the scale up of those materials as well so that we can really shorten the amount of time that it would usually take for materials like this to reach market, um, all with a purpose or with a view to making sure that it's as mature as possible so that the large and very established players in the supply chain today are hopefully more than willing to implement them on their very large and very expensive production lines that they have, because that task is usually one that today either takes too long, is too complex, or maybe requires too much investment um, from sometimes also scientists who aren't necessarily willing to leave academia and go into product development. This bridge or this, this gap that we're trying to fill, that's essentially the problem that we're hoping to solve. And right now, our biggest packaging, um, let's say, challenges focus on single-use, highly disposable product applications that usually are not disposed of in the way that we would like. So we are developing materials that will address a few of the very large issues that we're facing with plastic pollution that go just beyond just plastic as a problem. Also thinking about how do we create a more circular material loop? How do we make sure that leakage is accounted for? So we're trying to address a few of the very large um, pain points that we as consumers, but also the rest of the supply chain is facing when it comes to packaging waste as a general term. <laughs> Extremely interesting and also very much in line of what we care about at Slush. Yes, so you also already mentioned that before founding your own company, you were working in various roles at Infarm, uh, which is a Berlin-based company building vertical farms in order to make cities self-sufficient in their food production. And this is super interesting because this is actually something we're increasingly seeing across Europe. So people who've got some previous experience as startup operators set off to build their own companies. And you already mentioned that, first of all, you met your co-founder, but is there something else that you've taken with you from your time at Infarm to your founder journey? Yes. Meeting my co-founder Martin is probably the biggest gift that I could walk away from. This would not have been possible without him. But I think the other two things, the main things that we learned also working very closely with the founders at Infarm and being given that opportunity to work so closely alongside them is we learned a lot about fundraising. I think that's probably, if I had to nail it down, one of the superpowers that we have being in a space that also usually has a lot of, let's say, founders with scientific backgrounds and technical backgrounds, which Martin and I do not have. So we're a little bit, I guess we have a little bit of a disadvantage there that from the technical side, we're, we're probably lacking. We've gone through a lot of fundraising rounds and also for a company like Infarm that required quite a lot of infrastructure buildup, right? It's not your pure software play. Um, so we learned a lot about alternative kinds of financing, understanding also how to package that concept for investors who previously really found their sweet spot in asset light, if not asset or without any large capex investments, kind of those kinds of concepts. So I think that would be one of the larger things that we saw, had exposure to, and therefore benefited from because most climate tech or sustainability tech companies will probably require some kind of infrastructure buildup at some point or another, right? It's an entirely different market. And then finally, also, I think just being in a startup that went through all those growth phases, that's probably not an education that you can buy. I think you can buy it with your time, but not one that you can get at university. You have to really go through it. You have to learn who you are as a human when you're going through all these crazy steps. So I think the fundraising experience and just the general resilience that working in a growth startup gives you, I think those are two of the big things that we walked away with. And then of course, the founding team coming together at that company as well and being very well acquainted with each other, that, that helps a lot as well. Yes, super, super interesting. And I'm so happy to see these kind of stories increasingly across Europe. Yes. So something that I'm, of course, curious about as a slusher is that as an early stage founder, why are you actually joining Slush 2022? Uh, what do you expect to get out of the event? I can't speak for Martin, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure he has his own agenda on what he was, is hoping to get out of it. For myself personally, I'm excited to be a part of a conference that's so geared towards the ecosystem. I think there are very few conferences that do it at so many levels. You can really tell that it's made for, I mean, not just for startups, of course, and for founders, but also for VCs and investors, any active stakeholder in, in the larger ecosystem. So it's exciting to just be a part of a group of so many people that all have probably very similar goals or similar experiences 
and being able to just meet a few more people and see what kind of connections come out of that. And of course, I think seeing startups, let's say a few milestones ahead of us, right? Even if they're from different industries or from different verticals, it always helps to see how other people have solved problems that maybe today for us are still a little bit minor. We're not really thinking too much of it, but hearing somebody else tackle it because then it becomes a larger problem or a larger opportunity, I think often gives you a lot of perspective that you would lack if we weren't exposing ourselves to so many people who've gone through similar trajectories. So for myself, it's a lot of just seeing, learning, understanding how other people have chosen to tackle challenges or have chosen to leverage opportunities. And then of course, also, I mean, we were chosen and we're very grateful to be a part of the product showcase stage. So we get to share a little bit from our side about how we're doing things, how we're tackling things. So I also hope that out of that, either there will come some interesting collaborations with other companies that have other different approaches that could work with the way that we're working, or at the very least, maybe some investor contacts as well, because every startup needs fundraising at some point. So just giving exposure or getting exposure to the right investor group is also a nice benefit as well, if that all comes to fruition. But we're just excited because it's going to be a fun week in Helsinki, and we really love the city as well. Yes, I'm sure it's going to be fun. And let's hope that most of those uh, targets actually get covered. But yes, um, we're so happy to have you joining us in a few days. And for the listeners, in case you'd like to catch Claire and 1.5 on stage, make sure to head to the startup studio on Slash Day 2. So Claire will be presenting as a part of the new materials showcase starting quarter to three. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Claire. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Claire and Erika. Erika, what Claire was building is exceptionally cool and in, in line with Break of Dawn, but are there some other product showcase companies that you're particularly looking forward to? Absolutely. I think I could mention two. I think one of the most interesting ones is a Finnish company speaking in the food tech batch called Onego Bio. They're creating animal-free egg white. And another one to mention is called Porkchop, a Swedish company joining the space tech batch that are building a reusable logistics vehicle for space. Traditionally, there's been rather little space tech innovation in Europe. So it's actually really exciting to see an early stage team working on that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And now I think there's one last group that we should quickly touch on, which is media. We will have some of the very best tech media on the planet at Slush, including Axios, Forbes, Wired, TechCrunch, Sifted, Bloomberg, Insider and Reuters, to mention a few. And if you have something to share with these journalists, they can be found on the Slush matchmaking tool. What's more, if you have a startup or investor pass on the Slush platform, you will also find another tool we call Media Bank, using which you can share press releases or other materials with all the journalists joining. And no one but these journalists can see your materials, so feel free to include embargoed or otherwise sensitive materials. However, that's what's happening inside of Messukeskus from 8 to 6 on each event day. But Erika, Slush is a lot more than just that. So can you tell us a little bit about the stuff happening around town throughout the Slush week? Happy to. Um, yes, so during the Slush week, there's actually more than 200 side events happening around Helsinki. Go and check out our side event uh, listing found from our website for that. In the Day Zero events organized by Slush, you're able to meet your peers. So we have one for founders, one for investors, and then one for media alike. We also have many industry-focused side events going on in Helsinki. One that I could mention is Open Protocol, a Web3-focused event taking place in Slush Day Zero. And finally, I know that many of you are coming for a party. So yes, there is a official Slush after party taking place in the Slush venue at the end of day two. And we'll be continuing to the closing party in downtown Helsinki in a venue called Annibali. So you shouldn't be bored while in Helsinki. Yes, and with the closing party, I think we're nearing on the close of this episode as well. But before that, Miki already shared some of his top tips for some of the people who may be arriving in Helsinki for the first time. But I think Erika, both of us have also written down some of our own top tips. So let's go over those. Very curious to hear what you have, but should I should I start? Yeah, please go. All right, so my first one is a program-related top tip, which is to go and check out Builder Studio, one of our three stages. Builder Studio is something we piloted last 
year and it was extremely popular and so we brought it back for this year. And Builder Studio really exists at the core of Slush's content lens in 30-minute keynotes, starting with like how to come up with startup ideas and how to build your founding team and ending with how do you build an enduring company. We go over the like real nuts and bolts of company building. We bring on founders and operators who have done it before, many of them multiple times, and ask them to revisit the really tangible lessons that they've taken from building their companies. So that would be my first one. What's yours? Build a studio would have been on my list as well, but maybe I'll start with a practical tip. That is to arrive early. So arrive on November 15 or very latest on November 16th, or otherwise you'll be missing out on many things. So even though Slush is a two-day event on November 17 and 18, Helsinki will be filled with side events and all things interesting. So make sure to be here on time. Absolutely. Let's hope no one's listening to this on a night plane on the evening of November 16th. Anyway, my second tip would be to do your prep well, because Slush as an event is really what you make of it. And if you don't come prepared, you won't get everything out of it. So I'd focus on three things here. Go check out matchmaking and book meetings ahead of time. Go check out the side event tool and find the events that are interesting to you. And lastly, go check out our agenda tool and bookmark the stage talks that you want to go and see. Actually, one practical thing I could add on top of that is that download the Slush app. It will make your uh, event days a lot easier. But that is not one of my three tips. Uh, (laughs) So I actually had one related more to Finnish culture. So what to do if you end up in a sauna? That might happen at Slush. Mm -hmm. So yes, saunas are a big part of Finnish culture. Usually you go there, enjoy the sauna and maybe take a tip in the sea. But something that is very uncomfortable and new to many foreigners is that actually in the sauna you should be quiet and enjoy the moment. So even if that feels uncomfortable, try that quietness and you might learn something about the Finnish kind of soul and mind. Definitely. Something us Finns do exceptionally well. And if the saunas are going to be warm, my last tip would be about the weather, which is going to be cold. So actually, as we're recording this, I checked this out. And this morning, it was 0.4 degrees Celsius in Helsinki. And it's still a few days uh, to go until the event. So you can expect temperatures dropping below zero. So unless you're on that plane already coming in your summer gear, do pack for for cold weather. You will need it. Definitely. Last tip I would give to all of you is perhaps the most important one. It's in the very core of why Slush exists. And the tip would be talk to the people next to you. So as mentioned many times during this conversation, we really focused on getting the right people in Slush for these two days. So you can assume that people around you are actually that kind of people that you want to meet. So don't miss out. Talk to the people next to you. All right, and that's it from us. Now you should know everything you need to know ahead of your arrival in Helsinki. Erika and I will see you next time at 10 a.m. November 17th on Founder Stage for the opening show of Slush. Until then, it's goodbye from us. See you then, and thanks for tuning in. Bye.